Well, during the first wave, the military was summoned here to Ontario for long-term care. And here during the third wave, they have now answered the call for Ontario's overrun hospitals. And for more on that, joining us now is Dr. Michael Warner. He joins us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Doctor, good afternoon and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jeff. All right. The military, as I mentioned, has been uh, called in. But uh, did we wait too long to do this, do you think? Well, I think that uh, before seeking external help uh, from the military or even other provinces, there was a lot more we could have done within the borders of our province and especially in our hot zone regions to make such calls for help, help completely unnecessary. So, I mean, it's not clear to me what, you know, a team of a couple of nurses and, a, and medical technicians, I don't actually know what that is, uh, are going to do, but uh, I'm sure we welcome the help, but it's unfortunate that we've reached this point. Yeah, well, that was my next question for you, Dr. Warner, was do we know exactly how they will uh, be deployed? Are they just going to go into uh, overrun ICU units and just kind of do their best? We're hearing that it's three uh, medical uh, units from the military that are uh, coming, and we've also got, I think it's nine medical professionals from uh, Newfoundland Labrador. You know, I, I, I will reserve judgment until I know exactly how they'll be deployed. I think it's great that people are volunteering or being being asked to help and that they've raised their hand and that uh, the federal government is make, making this happen. That's wonderful. But to work in an intensive care unit, especially with COVID patients who are incredibly sick, is not something you can just walk into. You do need experience. So hopefully these individuals do have that experience so that they can be uh, assets to whatever team they join. Uh, but I guess it remains to be seen. Yeah, can you share some of your experience with us, Dr. Warner, what you've seen over the last uh, few weeks, the last month when it comes to uh, ICUs and ICU uh, admission uh, rates? I mean, we do have a report here today that's saying that uh, the ICU numbers have kind of plateaued, at least uh, for now, and I guess that's welcome news, but that still isn't, uh, I'm sure, much of a relief for a lot of our uh, doctors and nurses. Yeah, I would caution people on how they interpret the fact that the numbers haven't gone up significantly in the past 24 hours because we still did admit 58 patients overnight. And the numbers actually went down by two. What's actually happening on the ground is patients are being cared for in unconventional spaces outside of ICUs. At just about every hospital, there are patients who a year and a half ago would 100% be in an ICU, but they're being cared for off units, you know, with improvised uh, uh, situations with nurses who aren't necessarily trained uh, to care for them with fewer resources than they normally have to offload the actual ICUs. And the number of patients in ICUs who are actually on a ventilator proportionally has, has increased. I mean, today, Jeff, we're moving a patient from a hospital in Toronto, 919 kilometers by air to Thunder Bay. Uh, that's how dire the situation is. So I would caution people on how to interpret that alleged plateau because I don't think it's actually real. I think things are slowing down, but I don't think that it's that the ICUs are going to empty out anytime soon. I also wanted to ask you, uh, Dr. Warner, this afternoon about these more than 500 companies in the province that have applied to host on-site uh, vaccination uh, clinics. Uh, so far, only four have been approved. Just how key would that be to get the vaccine to uh, workplaces, particularly in hotspots? I think that's fundamentally important. I mean, we need to make sure we have the supply. I guess that's the federal government's responsibility, but in terms of distributing them to employers, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it also speaks to the fact that employers understand that from an economics perspective, it makes far more sense to vaccinate and protect their workers than to have people off sick and have to retrain other people to work. I mean, it's also the ethical thing to do, but financially it makes a lot of sense. So I'm encouraged by the fact that, that employers are willing to do this. And 
And if they're not going to be providing vaccines on site, hopefully they could pay uh, for time off for people to get vaccinated or to recover if they have any side effects from the vaccine that they do end up getting. Yeah, I want to ask you about uh, paid time off or uh, sick leave in just a second here. But uh, first, uh, 500 companies applied and only four so far have been approved. Do we need to step that up? Does the government need to get uh, more involved when it comes to getting uh, vaccinators uh, to these companies? It's it's hard for me to comment, Jeff, because I don't know why the other 496 haven't been approved. I don't know if it's just, you know, the government's drinking from a fire hose and has a lot of things to, to weigh or, or if this is just stuck somewhere. So I, I think it's I think it's an important initiative and one that uh, the government should make as easy as possible for uh, businesses to undertake, as long as, you know, those businesses are in hot zones where it's going to actually benefit the community uh, that's most effective, especially in Peel, Scarborough, North Etobicoke, etc. Okay, let's move on to paid sick leave because the uh, Ford government has announced a plan, they say, for improving the federal government's paid sick leave uh, benefit. Uh, they would top it up from essentially $500 to $1,000 per week. And uh, Dr. Warner, I know you've uh, posted a video about this in the last uh, half hour, 40 minutes or so on your uh, Twitter account with some uh, firsthand experience with a, a patient you've dealt with. Yeah, so uh, you know the the CRSB plan by the federal government is not a paid sick leave program the way that my patients and their families need it. What my patients need is they need assurance that if they miss work because they have symptoms, because their kid is sick with symptoms, uh, because they need to get tested or vaccinated, that their paycheck at the end of the month will remain whole. The CRSB program, whether it's four fifty after tax or a thousand bucks minus tax a week for four weeks, is something that people have to apply for. Three to five business days if they do it online, 10 to 12 if they do it by mail. They have to miss 50% of their work to be able to get the benefit. That doesn't help you meet rent at the end of the month. And using my patient's examples, so I have a patient mid-40s in the ICU, got COVID from her husband who doesn't have paid sick leave. Now, their net, their net income at the end of the month after rent is about 1600 bucks, And they have to cover food. Uh, clothing, transportation, internet for their child to do online learning, etc. So if he misses a day of work, he loses $133 net. If he misses three days of work, I mean, that can be the difference between meeting rent and missing it. So that's the problem that we're trying to solve with the paid sick leave, and that's not the problem that's being solved by topping up the CRSB. Just how key is that? I mean, we've talked about several initiatives that are uh, ongoing here, the military coming in, uh, vaccination clinics at work sites, uh, true paid sick leave. Uh, All three of those are combined. Do you think that if we did it and we got it right, that that would really help us turn the corner here in Ontario? Well, I think that a lot of our ICU missions and hospitalizations, unfortunately, Jeff, are already baked in because transmission has already occurred. But absolutely. I mean, there's a reason why everyone with an MD or a PhD uh, or common sense is saying, you know, the government should do this because it actually helps everybody. I mean, if your kids aren't going to school in Kenora and you're not able to open your business in Timmins, it's because things are out of control in Peel. I mean, that's the reality. So by getting things under control, by protecting workers, not just with paid sick leave, but rapid testing, PPE, um, access to vaccination, it helps everybody. And I I really don't understand why this very simple, straightforward and cost effective measure is not being undertaken, you know, without delay. It it doesn't make sense to me. Plus, people stop dying, which is also fundamentally important to uh, everyone. Yeah, just finally, Dr. Warner, can I ask you, do you think that there's brighter days ahead here in the immediate future? Are we getting close to maybe turning a a corner here uh, in the third way from what you've seen? 
I'm not sure how you define that. So, like I said, it'll take a long time for hospitals to empty out because our young COVID patients are staying for longer. Uh, vaccine uh, delivery is important, and distribution to the people who are most who are most likely to get infected will actually shorten this wave three. So, the uh, you know the those with the highest exposure risk getting vaccinated is really important. I don't know how quickly we'll turn the corner because um, it's all contingent on vaccine supply distribution and further adherence to public health measures, which I have no, no control over. But uh, I think the worst is behind us, uh, but I don't know how soon we will get back to the, the life that we had before. All right. Dr. Warner, appreciate the time. We know you're a busy man, but I appreciate you joining us and sharing your expertise and your experience with us. Thanks as always. Take care. Dr. Michael Warner.